Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. You know, at times, life can appear to be very hopeless, and it can leave us in somewhat of a helpless feeling in our lives. You know that portion of the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it seems, as we look at what's happening in our world today, that exactly the opposite is occurring. Lawlessness is rampant. Moral chaos is off the charts. The government seems to be broken. Truth has been canceled. Political corruption is prevalent. And evil is celebrated in our land today like never before. If we were keeping score, it certainly seems as if the ungodly ones are thoroughly trouncing the godly ones. The church, as a result, has become lethargic and somewhat powerless. Have you lost hope? Have you fallen into the abyss of pessimism? Adam and Eve must have, have had experienced some of these same feelings. Cain had murdered his brother Abel. And even though God reached out to him and God warned him, Cain decided that he didn't want to have any part to do with God. And he wanted to create a life for himself. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Cain practically severed any semblance of a spiritual root that he had in his life. He was a reprobate in the truest sense of the term. Why, in his mind, he didn't need God. He was determined that he would make a life for himself. And so the Bible says... He built a city, the first city we see mentioned in the Bible. And this spiritual reprobate built it. Verses 18 and 19 of Genesis 4 says, Now to Enoch was born Arad, and Arad became the father of Mahuyael, and Mahuyael became the father of Methusael, and Methusael became the father of Lamech, and Lamech took to himself two wives, the name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Now Lamech, a descendant of Cain, was the epitome of an ungodly man. He was the first to tamper with God's design for marriage. But he wouldn't be the last, would he? He had two wives in direct violation of what God had taught Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, when he said a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular. He even murdered a young man 
And he was so brazenly uh, pompous and arrogant that he wrote a song about murdering a young man. And his entire family tree was infected with a deadly virus of this godlessness. In Genesis 4.25, the Bible says that Adam had relations with his wife again. This was after the birth of Abel. This was after the birth of Cain. After Abel had been murdered by his brother, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now, Genesis 4 and 5 outline for us two cultures from the earliest years of earth's history, the culture of the ungodly and the culture of the godly. According to, according to Augustine, the history of the human race is the history of these two distinct groups of people, the godly and the ungodly. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. The, the title of the message is entitled, The Godly and the Ungodly. Now, I want you to notice something here uh, concerning uh, Eve's giving birth to Seth. In Genesis 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, their first child. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now, when you compare the birth of Cain and Eve's response to that with the birth of Seth and her response to that, there is an interesting dichotomy that develops. Keep in mind that she is relating everything that we read here to God's promise to send a deliverer. Take your Bible and look at the first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Bible says, God said to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, the godly and the ungodly, see? He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel." And God promised right here in the very beginning of history that one day he would send a deliverer to deliver people from Satan's uh, desire to destroy them. What an amazing promise it was. But interestingly, when Adam and Eve, when Eve gave birth to Cain, uh, it, it, she saw it as a fulfillment of this promise in Genesis 3.15. However, she was wrong. She was not holding a deliverer in her arms. She was holding a murderer in her arms. But she learned her lesson well. And when Seth was born, she gives all the glory to God. And trust him to bring forth the deliverer through the lineage of this son named Seth. In verse 26 of Genesis 4, the Bible says, To Seth, to him also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, 
Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, each of these names are vitally important. In fact, when you study your Bible, whether you're studying Old Testament or New Testament, you need to discover what the names meant in those days. The name Seth means in, set in place of. He was named Seth because he was given by God in place of Abel. And Enosh means frail one or mortal. Seth confessed when, when Enosh was born uh, that, that mankind, the godly in his line, would be absolutely dependent upon God. That we're mortal. That we can't carve our own lives for ourselves. We are desperately in need of God in our lives. Now notice this important phrase. When Enosh was born, the Bible said, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What in the world does that mean? Now, when you read something like that in your Bible and you don't understand it, it would be a good thing to take some time and dig into it and look through the Bible and look through your resources and see if you can come to some kind of understanding as to exactly what that phrase means. I believe it means this. Seth's descendants not only expressed a dependence upon God, they also began to worship the Creator God corporately and publicly. I believe that's exactly what it means. In other words, they would come together, just like we've come together this morning to worship the Lord our God. Families would come together at this point in time after Seth gave birth to Enosh, and they would come and they would worship God together. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now, it's interesting here that the Bible says that Adam was 130 years old, when Eve gave birth to Seth. Now, Seth was born with a marred image of God. You see, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, they still had the image of God, but it was a marred image. And when Seth was born, he was born with this marred image of God. So that's why the Bible says he was created in the likeness of Adam. Adam passed down to Seth a sin nature. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every person since Adam and Eve have been born with this sin nature. So here in the beginning of the lineage of this godly line through Seth, the names listed in this chapter represent godly individuals who lived out their lives in an age of spiritual decline. Now, the decline was enormous. The spiritual decline was enormous. How steep was the decline? How serious was the, 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 the state of ungodliness in that early 
pre-flood world? Well, in chapter 6, we discover that there are only eight righteous people who enter the ark and are saved when God judged the world through a flood. The entire human race, other than the eight people who entered the ark, were wiped out in God's wrathful judgment through the flood. That's how serious the ungodliness had become in the world. So you have the godly line of Seth, and you have the ungodly line of Cain. And those two lines just kept going and going and going, and there was such spiritual decline that took place, such ungodliness that ruled the world of that day, that there were only eight who were saved when the flood came. Now, this chapter underscores something we just sang about. It underscores the faithfulness of God. Isn't it amazing how God took this godly line, and even though there was such violence, even though there was such lawlessness, even though there was such ungodliness in the world, he preserved that lawless line because God was making sure that one day a deliverer would come through the line of Seth. And God kept his word as God always does. God always keeps his promises. But it pictures for us the faithfulness of God who preserves a godly remnant through periods of extreme spiritual darkness and depravity. God is faithful. And I'll tell you what, we live in a day and age when that spiritual decline is happening before our very eyes. In fact, Jesus warned that one day near the end of the age that the spiritual decline would be so prevalent that we wouldn't really know the world of that day. It was so wicked. It would be so wicked. And yet here we are today. If you're a born-again believer, you're a part of the godly line. That godly line is still in place. And the ungodly line is still in place, as Augustine made so clear. It's two cultures. It's two cities. And those cities and those cultures are still in place today. Now, as we continue to read this chapter, life and death take center stage. I'm not going to read every verse in chapter 5, but I want you to know, give you some highlights here. Adam lived 930 years, and then the Bible says he died. Seth lived 921 years, and then he died. Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. Kenan lived 910 years, then he died. Mahalalel lived 830 years, and then he died. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. Lamech lived 777 years, then he died. You say, why the emphasis upon death? Well, if you remember when Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, remember God gave them one rule. He said, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And then Satan appeared and he tempted Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God told them not to eat from. And you know what Satan told her? He said, even though God says you're going to die, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And now we see here in chapter 5 this recurring thought. They lived and they died. They lived and they died. And it was, it's almost as if God is proving that Satan is a liar. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, he is a liar. He is a liar. Jesus said he's been a liar from the beginning. And he, if he whispers anything in your ear, it will have to be a lie because that's all he knows. He does not know the truth. And so you've got to learn to trust God. You've got to learn to believe God's word. You've got to learn to stand on God's word. I find it interesting, though, that when addressing Cain's lineage, there's no mention of how long they lived or even that they died. Did you notice that? Did you notice that in chapter 4? It's not there. Maybe Ezekiel's words apply here. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 18, 23, here's the words of God, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather that he should turn from his ways and live. Let me tell you something, friend. The death of unrepentant unbelievers is not recognized by God. While at the same time, the life and death of godly believers are recognized in the Holy Scriptures here. In Malachi 3.16, the Bible says, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. Now look at this. And a book of remembrance was written before him for who? For those who fear the Lord, who have a reverence for God, and for those who esteem his name. I'll tell you, friend, the Bible says in Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. So you have the, the godly line and you have the ungodly line. The ungodly line does not speak of their, of their life or death, but the godly line speaks of both their life and their death. And their death was precious in the sight of God because they were godly, because they loved God, they revered God, they served God, they wanted to please God. And when a husband dies or a wife dies, or a child dies, or a friend dies, we are confronted with the fact that we are mortal. We are mortal. We're not immortal. These are God's warnings to us. They are, re are a reminder of our own impending death and a warning to prepare for the moment when we will meet God. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to meet God? I tell you this on the authority of the Word of God. If Jesus tarries in his coming, you will one day die. You'll die. Now, you may not want to think about it. You may want to avoid that subject altogether, but I tell you on the authority of God's Word, you will die one day. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again that we need to prepare to meet God. Now, when that time comes, either you will be prepared or you will be totally unprepared. 
Genesis 5, 21 to 24. The Bible in this chapter brings us to a, one of my heroes. I, we need heroes today, don't we? You know what I started to entitle this message? Heroes and zeros. That's what I almost did. But I thought better of it. And my, the hero here is, is named Enoch. He's in the line of Seth. He's one of the godly ones. And the Bible says of him here in verses 21 to 24, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God. Now, I, I saw that and I thought to myself, here's a man who's 65 years old. His wife gets pregnant. And the Bible says he begins to walk with God. So many people in our culture today have, have figured that one out, right? You got a, a young husband and wife and, and, and they're, they're enjoying each other. They're living life their way. And suddenly she gets pregnant. The man realizes that he is going to be a father and he's responsible for the spiritual and physical welfare of that child. And that man gets right with God. That man decides nothing is more important than his relationship with the living God. And that's exactly what happened to Enoch. The Bible says in verse 22, then Enoch walked with God. Look at this. 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It's a picture of the rapture of the church here. Now, Enoch was a courageous, godly man. He's even referred to several times in the New Testament. Let's piece together what we can learn about him. We know here, based upon our text in in uh, Genesis chapter 5, that Enoch walked with God. What light that one word walked cast on the life and character of Enoch. It, it pictures a godly man who is reconciled to God. It pictures a man who is totally committed to God. It pictures a man who is growing spiritually, who's progressing in his faith. It pictures a man who has a surrendered will. It pictures a man who desires above all else to be holy. May we follow Enoch's example. And then we learn that Enoch preached God's word. The, the, the Bible says that the days of Enoch were blatantly wicked, as the epistle of Jude plainly shows us. In Jude 14 and 15 in the New Testament, the Bible says, and it was also about these men, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, so he was a prophet, he prophesied God's word, he preached God's word, and he said, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones, 
to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch was a bold preacher of God's word. When Jude described him, he used the word ungodly four times. Enoch was not a preacher who tried to make people feel good. He was not a preacher who, who preached easy believism. He preached against the ungodliness of his day. The age was marked by immorality, materialism, demonism, and violence. It was a terrible time. Yet Enoch was fearless and faithful in his preaching. We live in a world much like that world. We are surrounded by immorality, materialism, occultism, violence, secular humanism, drug addiction, abortion, and idolatry in every shape and size. Shouldn't we be calling out the ungodliness of our culture? Shouldn't we be warning people about the coming judgment of God? So Enoch preached God's word. Enoch walked with God, and Enoch pleased God, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He never died, folks. He was walking with God, and God just took him. It's, again, it's a picture of the rapture of the church. And he was not found because God took him, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was, look at this, he was pleasing to God. He pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, this is the obvious culmination of the account of Enoch's life. What better thing could be said of any of, any of us than that we please God? I hope and pray that when you come to the end of your life, that heaven's record of your life says this, he or she pleased God. What could be better? I tell you, it's better than People saying, boy, he was a business whiz. Boy, he made a lot of money. Boy, he was a winner in life. Boy, he was popular. Boy, she was so beautiful. She was so incredible. She was so such a good mom, such a good wife. All these things might be good, but I'll tell you, nothing compares with the God of heaven saying, he pleased me. He pleased me. And finally, we learned that Enoch was taken to heaven. Listen to this. Enoch was God's testimony to the fact that those who walk with God in this life will also walk with God in a better life hereafter. Oh, man, isn't that not wonderful? The reference to Enoch's son, Methuselah, is interesting. You see it right here in our text. Verse 22, then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah's name, you know what it means? 
It means when he dies, it shall come. When he dies, it shall come. Evidently, Enoch received a revelation from God either just before Methuselah was born or just after Methuselah was born, before he named him. And in that revelation, God made Enoch aware of the fact that when Methuselah died, the world would experience the judgment of God in the flood. Now, can you imagine this? Can you, can you, uh, Methuselah lived to be, what, 969 years old? The oldest man ever. Nobody will ever beat that record. Okay? Isn't it interesting that before the flood, people lived for a long, 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 long time. But after the flood, we notice that life expectancy goes down, down, down until finally we read, and I think it's, I think it's Genesis 11 or, or somewhere in the early Old Testament that man's lifespan will be 120 years. From 969 years to 120 years. That's a precipitous fall in life expectancy. And can you imagine when Methuselah, maybe he's 500 years old and, and he gets sick? I would imagine that because his death was tied to the judgment of God, the flood, I would imagine that everybody came around and said, can we give you some vitamins? Can we fix you some chicken soup? Nobody wanted to see this guy die. But I want to tell you something. When he died, the flood came. The meaning of his name was a real thing. The Bible says, that he lived 969 years, and this godly man lived longer than anyone else, and it's a testimony to God's grace. Isn't it amazing that God allowed him to live that long so that people would have a chance to repent and get right with God? You see, it's not God's will that any perish, but all come to repentance. And God gave the world in that pre-flood time, so much opportunity to get right with him. But I'm telling you, on the day that Methuselah died, the flood came. Mm. Look at verses 28 to 31. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now, he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Now, Noah is an important figure in the Bible. 
Noah was a man of righteousness. Noah was a man of God. He was in the godly line. And Noah would be charged by God with building an ark to preserve that godly line and to preserve the deliverer that would one day come through Seth's line. Now, beginning next week, or the next time I preach, I'm going to begin preaching in chapter 6, and we're going to look at the life of Noah. So I encourage you to keep coming. We're, we're preaching verse by verse through Genesis chapter 1 through 11, a series that we've entitled, Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. Now, here's a thought that I want you to put in your mind today. Godly people remain faithful to God. Godly people remain faithful to God. And that's evident as we look at the line of Seth, the, the godly line of Seth, as opposed to the ungodly line of Cain. Now, here's some clear lessons I want to I, I just draw out for you today, and we'll close, okay? Number one, walk with the Lord. Hey, we live in a wicked world. We live in a world that is getting worse. Some people say today, well, the world's going to get better and better and better. The Bible says in prophecy, it's not going to get better and better and better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you're a godly person, if you've been reconciled to God, if you've been saved, then you're in the godly line. And you need to walk with the Lord. Even though it's tough, even though it's dark, and there's depravity all around us, walk with the Lord. What does it mean? It means identify with the godly, not the ungodly. It means that you surrender your will to Jesus on a daily basis. It means that you seek him with all your heart and you serve him faithfully. I want to ask you this morning, if you had to look at your life, if you have to look at your soul, are you in the godly line or the ungodly line? See, you're one of the two. There's only two cultures. There's only two cities. There's only two ways to live. Either you're living in the godly line or you're living in the ungodly line. You say, no, no, Pastor, I'm straddling the fence. I tell you something, there's no such thing as straddling the fence spiritually. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. One of the two. Now, I can't look at you and determine where you are. Your wife or your husband can't look at you and determine where you are. Your mom and dad can't look at you and determine where you are, teenagers. But I'll tell you, friend, God knows whether you're in the godly line or the ungodly line. And if you're in the ungodly line, I want to offer you today an opportunity. I want to invite you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus and be gloriously saved. Come to Christ today. You can become a part of the godly line today. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you to do. Seek to please Jesus. Walk with the Lord, seek to please Jesus. 
Now, to please Jesus, you've got to believe that, that he's real. You've you got to believe that, that he rewards those who truly trust him as Lord and Savior. It's not going to be easy. I'm telling you right now, in the days, weeks, months, and years to come, prior to Christ's coming, it's going to get harder and harder and harder and more difficult and more serious to be a follower of Christ, to please Jesus, to seek to please him. I'm telling you, the whole world is going to come against us. I'll tell you this. If you will seek to please him, your rewards in the next life will be off the charts. And number three, stand up for the truth. Stand up for the truth. Don't be a weenie. I'm serious. We got too many weenies in the, in the Christian uh, culture today. We got too many people who compromise over this and they compromise over that. We need to stand up for the truth of God. The godly must refuse to compromise. Speak to people about their fallen nature. Remind them that God created them and they are accountable to, to him. Warn them about the judgment that is coming. That's what, that's what Enoch did. Share with them that they are destined to spend eternity either with God or without God. Be willing to suffer personal abuse so that the ungodly might hear and respond in faith to Christ. He is, listen, he is the only promise deliverer. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Let me give an illustration of the, the godly and the ungodly line. On February the 5th of this year, our world witnessed what some consider to be one of the most blasphemous displays ever performed on the Grammy Awards. Sam Smith and Kim Petras performed a song with demonic and sexually charged imagery. You know what that song was called? Unholy. <laughs> Unholy. Three days later, a small group of students lingered in the presence of God in the chapel at Asbury College at Hughes Auditorium. There were no bright lights. There were no cameras. There was no press. Only a singular desire to seek Jesus. But what started out as a small spark has grown into a fire that has the attention of the world with thousands coming from different countries and different parts of the United States to attend the gathering. The hashtag Asbury Revival has 55.4 million views on TikTok. Sam Smith and Kim Petros performed a song called Unholy. In the Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College, above the organ, there's a sign that reads like this, holiness unto the Lord. Yeah. 
I pray that what God seems to be doing in Asbury is absolutely genuine. I pray that it would spread. It's already spread to some other colleges. I want to see it get to the churches. I want to see churches catch fire for Jesus. I want to see churches where believers are more comfortable on their face before God at the altar than they are sitting comfortably in the seats. I want to see God cleanse and purify the body of Christ before he comes. Oh, God. Do it again. He's done it before. Nothing is impossible with him. He can do it again. May it begin with us. Would you bow your head, please? I'm going to ask our staff to come our worship team to come. And I want to invite you today to respond to what God said through the word. For many of you today, you say, Pastor, I have been reconciled to God. I'm saved. I'm in the camp of the godly. Now, now look, you, may not, you not be, may not be living exactly the way God wants you to live if you're in the camp of the godly. Maybe you want to come to the altar and do what those students at Asbury College are doing, getting on their face before God, confessing their sins, asking God to cleanse and purify them. I encourage you to come to the altar. But there are some in this room and some watching live stream and you're not saved. You, you've never repented of your sin. You've never placed your faith in Jesus. You are living in the way of Cain. You're trying to, to carve out a life for yourself. And it never works. It didn't work for Cain. It didn't work for Lamech. It didn't work for, for others in his line. And it won't work for you. I invite you. Come to Christ today. Turn from your sin. Place your faith in him. Come to one of our staff here. We'll help you with that decision. And maybe your family looking for a church home. Come to our staff. Tell them you want to be a part of this church. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that all heaven would break loose this morning. I pray, Heavenly Father, that this altar would be filled with people who desire to be right with you. I pray that lost people would come to faith in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our response this morning. In Jesus' name.